today on Ag News Daily. Wheat is the anchor. Wheat is dragging everything lower. Wheat's down 10 and 3 quarters and uh, yikes. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Today is Monday, May 15th, 2017. I'm Mike Pearson, joined today by my co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you? I'm good, Mike. How are you? I am fantastic. It's a little humid up here in the heartland oh today, but, uh, you know, I guess I'm I'm really digging deep if uh, complaining about humidity is the mm. worst I got. It doesn't do much for my hair. Oh, then you need to follow my plan, Delaney. Go bald? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it works for me. Yeah. Uh, how was Mother's Day at the uh, Howell household? Mother's Day was good. I didn't end up going all the way home because I just had a lot of stuff to do. So we met in Iowa City and had lunch. And then we went to Menards. Now, did you have lunch, Delaney, or did you have brunch? We had lunch. Oh, we okay. ate at like 1230 or something. So okay. it was definitely lunch. Gotcha. I know brunches are very popular on Mother's they Day. They are. Well, we kind of decided last minute we were going to meet. So we just wanted to go somewhere easy. We went to a little pub. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. that was probably... Uh... Well, probably the best Mother's Day present ever. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. What did you do for Mother's Day? Did you send your mom some flowers? I went and visited my mother on Mother's okay. Day. Okay, good. Um, went down to my sister and brother-in-law, had a big uh, barbecue, so we all went down and grilled out, had some burgers, and for Mother's Day, my present to my mom is I'm putting the bike rack on the back of her car. <laughs> good. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it's a... I figured that'd be more useful than flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, that's fantastic. Hopefully all the mothers listening uh, had a fantastic Mother's Day. And we're at the start of a new week, Delaney. We are, Mike. New week, new things. Anything cooking in uh, your world? I had lunch today with the deputy or COO of the Iowa Soybean Association, Carrie Cleghorn, and she was giving me some people to interview for upcoming podcasts outstanding mm-hmm. yeah so she had a lot of good ideas i bet she did she's a sharp sharp person she is very cool so we'll get those folks on and this week we are talking wheat correct Mm-hmm. we're talking wheat we'll uh we'll just see what else is in the offing for this week yeah but we encourage right. all of you to subscribe to us on itunes or on google play music potentially and uh find us on facebook and on twitter at ag news daily yeah, and hopefully we're still working out some kinks on our website, but really hoping to get it up here soon. Yes, yes. So you will have a whole new place to go and get ag information 24-7. That's right. With all that being said, Delaney, is there anything happening in the world of news? There is. There's always stuff happening, Mike. Actually, today is pretty, I thought, pretty news-heavy for a Monday. We uh, reported on Saturday, we did a little special weekend edition. If you haven't listened to it yet, we played some of the clips from Sunny Purdue's Q&A session at that town hall meeting in Nevada. But we also brought some breaking news, what I would call breaking news, that Bill Northey, Iowa's agriculture secretary, might be heading to D.C. And so Jim Wiesmeyer, which is a senior VP of policy and trade issues for Informa Economics, said that he is speculating that three positions to be filled in the new USDA structure are going to be Steve Sensky, 
Bill Nordy, and Ted McKinley. And so it's currently Steve Sensky is the CEO at the American Soybean Association. They're speculating that he's going to be tapped to become the deputy secretary. Bill Nordy is obviously Iowa's agriculture commissioner, and he is hopefully going to be tapped to take the position of uh, undersecretary for farm production and conservation. And then Ted McKinley, who is Indiana's state agriculture commissioner, would be tapped to become undersecretary for trade and foreign agricultural affairs. And like I said, this isn't for sure. This is just a speculation. So hopefully we'll see that happen soon. I don't know what the process is for that. Do you, Mike? I don't. I imagine it is probably time consuming, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, however it works out. I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll get some more information probably by the end of this week or early part of next week, I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Just given that uh, Secretary Purdue really wants to move things forward and Mm -hmm. get the USDA up to full power. Well, that is interesting. So we've got Iowa, Indiana represented there, right? Both secretaries of. Yes. Yep. Well, then that dovetails nicely. So the 8th District of the Federal Reserve, which is seven Midwestern and Mid-South states, it's Arkansas, Illinois, Indiana, Kentucky, Mississippi, Missouri, and Tennessee, that Fed uh, did a survey, and they found that farm income has continued to decline during the first quarter of 2017. However, quality farmland and ranch land experienced the largest increase in price in three and a half years. Hmm. I thought that wow. was interesting. I mean, there's yeah. that divergence. It makes you wonder, is most of this land being acquired by off-farm investors, or mm-hmm. is it people who have managed to set money aside during the good years, and now they're striking, I suppose, while the iron is hot? Right. Yeah, that's interesting you say that. Yeah. that's mm-hmm. what, I, what else you got? Uh, well, Robert Lighthizer was confirmed as the U.S. Trade Representative last week, and so now he says that the big issues he's working to address in the beginning of his term is dairy trade policy issues, negotiate renegotiation of NAFTA, expanding market access channels into Asia, and preventing the loss of common food names. Preventing the loss of common food names? Yeah, I don't know what that one means exactly. Well, I think this is something that uh, we will work on getting former Secretary Vag Vilsack on the podcast. Mm-hmm. He and I had a discussion about this. If it's what I'm thinking, so like Parmesan is a right. region in Italy, and mm-hmm. the Italians in the EU have been trying to say that only cheese produced in that region can call itself Parmesan. Okay. And same thing with cheddar being an English region. And uh, so, of course, U.S. dairy producers are saying, whoa, 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 hey, we're all producing this type of cheese. We should be allowed to call it Parmesan. And so we'll get Secretary Vilsack on and and, uh, have him explain this to us in a little better detail. Why don't you get on that, Mike? I will. I will. (laughs) I will. uh, You know, I'll just give him a holler. Okay, good. I'll just, you know, I'll I'll shoot him a text. I'll FaceTime him. You yeah. guys are besties. <laughs> I've uh, I've had the pleasure of interviewing uh, Tom Vilsack twice. That's we're okay. not quite besties, but oh, uh, okay. Well, maybe someday. Right, and I I I think he's probably willing to talk about it in his new role as CEO yes. of the uh, Dairy Export uh, Federation. That is true. I'm sure he is. Well, let's see. So we've got other news from Federal Reserves, this time the 10th Federal Reserve District, which is Iowa, Delaney, and. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see, I farther west, Nebraska, Kansas, Oklahoma, I forget a bunch of the others. But they did a survey, and they have found that farm credit conditions continue to deteriorate, probably not shocking to a lot of our listeners. 
The deterioration in the western portion of the district was the most severe, which would be western Nebraska, western Kansas, and Oklahoma, places that notably grow wheat, which has been just a dumpster fire for the better part Mm -hmm. of the last year, and feed cattle, which, of course, 2016 was a very, very challenging year for a lot of cattle feeders. And uh, they said that, you know, those are the places that they are most concerned about going into 2017. Yes, that's uh, that sounds that makes sense. And tomorrow we're talking wheat, so we can talk about some of those weather-related issues. Yeah, and hopefully, maybe he can uh, give us a reason to get somewhat excited about about wheat. Maybe. maybe. Well, like I mentioned, my dad killed off his wheat acres because it was. He said he would lose more money to harvest the wheat than it would to um, just kill it. So he said that was an expensive cover crop I had. Yeah, he'll have to put some fences around it, and he can turn some calves out on it. <laughs> yeah. Next year. I think it's already dead now, but right. yeah. yeah. Yeah, next year. All right. I've got one other story here that I thought this was interesting as it relates to agriculture. So lawmakers this week are expected to debate a bipartisan proposal to reform the federal rulemaking process. And this is the process which WOTUS came out under. This is the methane rules. All of this comes out through the rulemaking process, and they want to change it. Basically, Rob Portman, a Republican from Ohio, and Heidi Heitkamp, a Democrat from North Dakota, want to require federal agencies to seek public input before proposing a major rule. And of course, being the government, major rule has a definition. It's a rule with an economic impact of $100 million or more. And then they want to to force the rulemaking bodies to adopt only the most cost-effective regulation. It sounds like there's going to be a big battle about this once it gets onto the floor, so we'll keep an eye on it, but this could potentially streamline the rulemaking process for uh, for those of us who have to live with these rules mm-hmm. once they come out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And other news coming from D.C., former First Lady Michelle Obama has been very vocal um, about the new rollbacks on the nutrition program that the Trump administration has kind of been chipping away at. And she had an hour-long Q&A session last Friday at the Partnership for a Healthier America Summit. She said she's going to keep fighting these rollbacks as the Trump administration does that. She said that she's... She worked really hard to get them in place and that she's not going to go down without a fight. But I thought this quote was kind of funny, regardless of what side you take on this issue. She said, that to me is one of the most ridiculous things that we have talked about in this movement. Quote, that kids aren't happy. Obama said, well, you know what? Kids don't like math either. What are we going to do? Just stop teaching them math. So I thought that was kind of a funny quote. It is, but uh, I don't eat my math book, you know. Yeah. I, know. I can I can get by not knowing the quadratic. <laughs> well, I think I think the school's changed a lot since we've been in school, Mike. Probably you're probably now right. they're now they're kind of teaching the why behind why you do stuff. Oh, you do it so you can get the piece of paper and be gone. <laughs> right oh Mm -hmm. let's see so today on the podcast we're going to be talking to ted seifert he will be giving us his uh thoughts on these markets before we get to ted delaney should i read how the markets closed yeah and i just want to say i was busy having lunch with carrie so i didn't get to talk to ted today but i'm sure mike had a great conversation with him i did and ted sends his regards delaney all right 
Here's where we closed. We'll start looking at the corn market. July corn dropped two and a half cents, finishing the day at three sixty-eight and a half. December corn down two and a half, closed at three eighty-six and a quarter. Soybeans really the only spot of green on the screen. The July contract closed up three and a half cents, ending at nine sixty-six and a half. The November contract up two and a half cents, closed at nine sixty-two and a quarter. Looking at Chicago wheat, wheat of all classes was pretty well hammered today. The July contract dropped nine and a half cents, finishing at four twenty three and a quarter. The December contract dropped seven and a half cents, closing the day at four fifty eight and three quarters. Looking over, oh, actually, we do have some more green on the screen. The cotton market. I know we've got some listeners in the South. July cotton was up today, two dollars and eighty cents a hundred, closed at eighty four ninety eight. We broke through that eighty dollar wall. The October contract up a dollar seventeen, closed at seventy eight twenty five. Now down to cattle. Oh. The June live cattle contract dropped almost the limit, closed down 275, ended the day at 122.42 and a half. The August contract down $2.95, closed at 118.82 and a half. In feeder cattle, the May contract dropped $2 and a nickel, closing at 142.50. The August contract down $2.30, finished the day at 149.52 and a half. Looking at lean hogs, the June contract dropped 75 cents, closed at 77.20. The July contract down 32.5 cents, finished the day at 78.27 and a half. That's where we close, Delaney. Should we turn it over to Ted Seifert and get his thoughts on what exactly caused the market to do these things today? Yes, I'm interested in hearing it today. All right, folks, we're joined today by Ted Seifert from Zaner Ag Hedge. Ted, I'm looking at the markets, and there is a lot of red on the screen today. What's going on? Well, there's a fair amount of red. Let's say that, Mike. Um, you've got corn down and wheat down. Wheat is the anchor. Wheat is dragging everything lower. Wheat's down 10 and 3 quarters. And, uh, yikes, wheat's just uh, just a dog. And, uh, you know, so the weakness there in wheat's kind of spilled over to corn. Beans, however, are up just a little bit. There was talk this morning uh, that China might be poking around in the market for U.S. beans once again. So that's uh, a old, little bit of optimism old there. Old crop or new crop, do we know? Uh, that that wasn't specified, but okay. it, the way that it sounds, it sounds old crop, which is, hmm. again, interesting. We continue to hold up with some good export sales, uh, especially for corn and wheat today. But beans, you know, this time of year, it's to be looking at uh, uh, export inspection numbers, that uh, a pretty positive number. That's, uh, that's supportive, too. Uh, hmm. On the other hand, we had Nopa Crush. Wow, Nopa Crush continues to, to disappoint. Uh, the average trade guess was looking for 145.7, uh, which was already quite a bit lower than what we were looking for this time last year, and uh, it's a, that's already kind of a lower expectation. Well, it came out at 139.134 billion bushels crushed in April. Um, that is a big miss by the trade. We haven't seen a miss that big for a little while, and it was in the upside back in 2015. Uh, last time we saw a downside miss like that was September 2014, and that was simply because we did not have the beans to crush. Gotcha. Um, now, what's, what's killing the crush on us now? I mean, meal futures are would, just north of 300 bucks. It seems like that'd yeah. be a profitable level for feeders and end users to be aggressive in making purchases. Uh, uh, what's going on? I, I just don't think we've got the demand for the meal right now. Okay. Um, it's just it's slowed down, and yeah, meal prices aren't. I'm going to say terrible. I, I would no. I would think that this would be spurring along more demand, but the fact that it hasn't is a little bit disappointing and kind of really 
I mean, there's let's face it, there's there's more than a few analysts out there that think beans should be trading at least a dollar lower than where they are right now. Yeah. Uh, that sort of adds credence to that idea. But the exports, which have have for a while now been really the shining bright spot for the bean balance sheet, uh, you know, you get you get rumors that uh, China's kicking around for some beans, and yet we're still positive on the day here today. So. Yeah, that's what's kind of keeping us afloat. But, you know, you really get the feeling that if we have a very good bean crop here this year on the big acreage numbers we're talking about, that we could really see some lower prices when we get into, you know, harvest, uh, September, October time frame in yeah. particular. Uh, but but we still have to grow it first. So, you know, we'll, we might keep something in, in the market uh, for now. Just okay, keep a little premium up in there just because we're still so uncertain on where this crop could go. Yeah, I mean we're we're uh, we're a week or two away from worrying about planting progress too, because uh, again, some bigger rains in the forecasts here for this week might uh, put a damper on some things. And and while so far planting delays have been bearish for beans, with the idea that we might get more bean acreage, we're kind of getting to the time that if we have further planting delays, then we might start to worry about whether we're going to get this big bean crop in or not. So, right. Yeah, weather and planting delays for beans right now is kind of uh, a mixed bag at the moment. But again, if it extends out much further, then we will start to get worried about the beans. Okay, well now talk to us about this wheat market, Ted. We're off, like you said, ten cents in Chicago yeah. and KC wheat. It's, what happened? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think there was a lot of expectation for last week's crop uh, progress report to see wheat conditions come down pretty dramatically after the snow and flooding, and I mean wind, just everything, all the bad conditions that we'd, we'd seen two weeks ago. Um, when those conditions did not come down dramatically, I think that uh, uh, sort of let some steam out of the, the wheat market. And, and now I think we're continuing to respond to that, rain in the forecast. Um, but I wonder, I, you know, I wonder about the crop conditions uh, this Monday afternoon. I, I wonder if this is a, a delayed sort of, because uh, sometimes it takes a little bit of time to see that damage. And I, I wonder if, if crop conditions come down a little bit more than expected. If they don't, then I think that sort of justifies what the wheat market is doing here today, uh, just simply because we really don't have any urgency or any reason to think that wheat needs to go higher right now. In the very long run, we are doing what we need to do to sort of fix this problem, i.e. less acreage, um, you know, and, and I, in the longer run, I'm I'm pretty friendly for wheat, uh, but just in the here and now, in the short run, it's really difficult to build a bullish case for wheat or, or a friendly case for wheat, other than the funds are really very short at this point. Um, and at some point, they might have to cover, or at some point, they will get out of those short positions. And when that happens, then you can see some upside potential in wheat. But we okay. probably need a spark to trigger that, and I'm not sure what that spark would be. Yeah, I mean, if it's not that huge blizzard across southwest Kansas, I, I can't imagine right. what kind of a spark it's going to take to get them to move and uh, start covering those shorts. Exactly right. Hmm. Yep. Gotcha. And so the wheat just dragging on the corn market, it's just the overall abundance of, of feed quality grain in this country. That's what's going on. Yes, that's right. You know, I mean, the the concern obviously is, you know, if wheat continues down, then we're going to keep stealing corn feed demand away, um, which already isn't isn't terribly robust when you look at what the USDA has for next year. So, you know, that's a little bit of a problem for us. We don't like that. Now, I will say this, you know, going back to that USDA report we saw last week, a 350 million bushel year-over-year reduction in corn exports, I think, is an interesting thing. Um, 
I'm not so sure I would be that aggressive. Uh, yes, I understand that uh, the USDA's argument for that, and they even laid that out back in the Outlook Forward and Outlook Forum in February, is that with good South American crops, we are going to be losing some market share. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to disagree with that. Um, however, with corn prices being where they are, I think we're holding demand pretty positively, or holding demand, uh, growing demand pretty well. Yeah. Um, and I, a 350 million bushel decline year over year in exports just seems like a lot to me, especially when right now you're seeing exports run <laughs> at a pace well above the pace we need to hit the current USDA's target for old crop for this current marketing year. Um, and I would argue that if we're, if we're over on our exports for this marketing year, um, I think that has a double effect on the new crop balance sheet because the USDA seems very content on that 350 million bushel decline. They talked about it back in February. It's the same thing that they had on this, this first uh, WASD report where we're looking at a new crop balance sheet. So if exports were to come in, say, 50 million bushel better than expectations or better than the current USDA expectations for this marketing year, first of all, you take that 50 million bushel off the beginning stocks for next marketing year, so there's one. But I think you also take uh, or add 50 million bushel to export demand for next year so that the USDA can keep with their 350 million bushel reduction. So that's 100 million bushel. Uh, that'd be 100 million bushel on, on new crop ending stocks, if my thinking's right, and if that is how the USDA would work. Now, you push that to 100 million bushel, and then that translates to 200 million bushels on, on the new crop balance sheet, then you kind of really have something there. So either way, uh, I wonder about exports for next year. Uh, exports for this year continue to go well. Uh, export shipments uh, or inspections this morning, really quite good, so that, that we are moving along with that. We do expect exports to slow down towards the end of the marketing year, as they usually do. Uh, but at the moment, we're almost 170 bushel above. We're on pace for about 170 million bushel above the USDA estimate. That will shrink. The question is by how much. Now, we did hear a lot of talk earlier about how Brazilian farmers have not been very willing sellers over the past right. two months, both in beans and do we see that same scenario playing out in corn? Or are they just yeah. more? Oh, they are. Okay. Yes. They're yeah, no, they it's certainly more than what the expectations were. Um, you know, so that, that does, that does have, that does play in the market. Right. And, and yeah, you, you know, that is why the USDA is making the argument that we're going to see exports drop better than 50 million bushel next year is because South America and the Ukraine have a lot of corn to sell. Um, I just think that we're going to find demand for it at these prices that we have here. Gotcha. Now, Ted, I want to take a look. I'm looking at the livestock side of the ledger and continuing yeah, to buddy. see a little bit of red. Lean hogs down. Let's yeah. see. Live cattle down. Feeder cattle down. Oh, what's going on? We had such a positive close on Friday with news that beef mm-hmm. was going to go to China, and now we're just right. giving it all back. Yeah, not all of it back, because you had feeder cattle locked limit up uh, with the first four contract months on the board. And, yeah, and today we. At least at the moment, we're down 220, so we're giving about half of it back. Um, uh, front month cattle, fat cattle, June cattle, uh, down 265. You know, that makes sense because there's not much that trade with China is going to do for that June cattle contract. Um, however, cash still trading well above where the uh, futures are trading, so you wonder how that gap is going to close here. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, the thing with China, man... <laughs> It's it's it, there's a lot of optimism that goes along with that, yeah. Because mm-hmm. you know China does have 
the potential or something like this does have the potential to really uh, help our exports and, and push us over the hump we need to get to be in that exporter, which we haven't been since 2014. Um, so that would be great. However, we've heard things like this in the past, and they just never really come to fruition. Uh, I believe it was last late October, early November, when uh, uh, Chinese ag minister said that we will be accepting U.S. beef by the end of uh, the calendar year. Yeah. Um, well, we must have different calendars because that didn't happen. <laughs> Actually, I think we do have different Yeah, I was, just, I was just thinking that. I, I forget how theirs works, but, yeah, I'm pretty sure we are different. But even then, we're past the new year on the Chinese calendar. There you go. So, yeah. right. So, okay, so that didn't happen. Um, and then – and. Maybe more importantly, is that there's a big question mark as to what it is they're going to take, what sort of what sort of cut in quality they want, and I, I think that they're probably only looking for things that are at the very top end of the quality spectrum. Uh, so that might not be that might not translate to, into the huge export sales numbers sure. uh, that should help. that originally the market was hoping for when we when we heard the news you know, Thursday night, Friday right. morning. But it should help uh, keep keep some uh, some headroom in those choice box beef values. I mean, when we start shipping them yes. high-value corn-fed cuts. And yes, your thinking absolutely. is that they can source that lower-quality stuff probably more cheaply from Brazil or Australia or, or uh, New Zealand, not of a... Exactly, and, and, you know, deal with much lower shipping costs at that right. point, too. So, yeah, so uh, the question really is how much does that impact our, our overall balance sheet? And, yeah, I don't know. Um, again, we were very optimistic about it on Friday. Here today, it's just kind of, meh, we'll okay. see. Which, right. which, honestly, I think the market is right by taking this sort of we'll see approach to this because how many times before, as we were talking about earlier, how many times before has China made the announcement that we're going to do this and then it's just never really panned out to anything, you know, of, of any any substance. So we'll see. As I mentioned earlier, though, I mean, steep. The thing that I'm looking at is there's a steep discount to cash in the futures right now. Um, with that July contract trading 8 to $12 below cash, I think those numbers have to come closer together. The question is how. Right. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it's a little bit of both. I would not be surprised to see futures find some strength at some point uh, to, to narrow that gap a little bit and then watch cash start to come down a little bit. But at the moment, it does kind of feel like we had that sort of blow-off exhaustion top in both cash and futures about two weeks ago. That's true. That's true. When we really peaked it and ran strong. And now, do you is anybody anticipating any cash trade early in this week, or probably going to see it at least wait till Wednesday? Yeah, we we we've kind of we kick numbers around here here Monday morning, but. Yeah, I, I think ask me again in, in okay. about 24 hours. <laughs> gotcha. Yep, that makes sense. And now, Lean Hogs, Ted, give us your thoughts there. We've uh, we've got some, again, more weakness there. You would imagine that we would be able to find some strength in this Lean Hog market, given how aggressive retailers have been pricing beef. There should be room to price yes. pork at a very profitable level and still right. get it moved. But I don't know, we're down, yep. gosh, what? Well, I guess we're not down 27.5 on the nearby or close to that. Yep. So, so the, what you're talking about, the substitute value, I yes. absolutely agree with that. And I think that's a big reason why we're uh, well off our lows now at this point. Uh, not on the day necessarily, but, you know, the, the late April lows that we've had. Um, and, and by the way, just now the August hogs turn down on the day, down 10, uh, June down 70. Um, 
you know, it's been a decent recovery. We basically went from 69.50 August hogs up to, well, we cracked 78.50 today. Actually, I think that was the high. Uh, so pretty nice recovery. The thing is, we're running into a tremendous amount of, of technical resistance up here. When you look at all the highs that we had in February, March, we just have layers and layers of highs in here, uh, starting here to about 79.50. So I think from a technical perspective, we've had the bounce off the lows. We're running into resistance. I think here's where we should maybe hold that resistance and maybe see a bit of a pullback. I'm kind of targeting 74.50 for a pullback. That being said, you know, and I've been talking about it for a while, I kind of wonder if what we've done is just carved out a range between that 69.50 and 79.50 as the big extremes, um, but sort of uh, an, an intermodal range there between about 72.50 and about 78.50 makes a lot of sense to me. I think that's a very value range for hogs at this yeah. point, unless we see a big uptick in our exports, which is possible. You know, we're talking about China uh, moving operations away from any bodies of water and culling part of their herd. Really? Uh, they want to, for, in an effort for environmental control, they're going to move hog exactly. operations away from rivers. I'll be darned. I'll be darned is right. Let's see hmm. if that happens. <laughs> well, wasn't uh, it just like two years ago that there were millions of dead hogs floating down the Yangtze River? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Okay, so, this makes sense So, then. I mean, there's good reason for what they're, for what they're trying to do. But, you know, uh, again, we'll see. Okay. Either way, it does give us optimism that there could be more, uh, it could be more exports to China down the road. Okay. And if that were the case, that would really, that would help. That would certainly help things. And a range, even if we are 69 on the low, up to 79, with meal at right around 300, 315, with corn down in here at uh, you know sub four dollars. I'm guessing a lot of pork producers can make a range like that work, profitability wise. Yeah, I, I think I think that's not bad news, right? You know, yeah. I, I would like I I would like to see, you know, let's hold 72 and a half. I would like to see that happen. If we can do that in those August hogs, I think we're going to, I think things will be good. And then if we do go higher, that'd be great too. But, you know, um, for right now, I, I just think this is a good value range and I think we can, we can hold on to, uh, we can hold on to it for now. All right, Ted, before we let you go, what market do we need to be watching this week? What's, what's really on your radar? That's a great question. I, I think, I think, well, the grains markets as a whole, I, I'm, I'm watching weather. And I wonder if we get further along in the week, if those big rain totals stay in there, if we're going to get more of a positive reaction to that. And I do wonder if soybeans participate in that as well, because we're starting to get into the time frame where if we really see any major delays, that might actually negatively affect soybean acreage rather than positively affect. So right. uh, for me, it's watch the weather, uh, because that might be another feature here this week. Uh, but, you know, in the great scheme of things, I, I think corn has an interesting story where the funds are about as short as they really have been in the past. I don't know if they really want to add to it. It'd be a very strange time of the year for them to do that. Um, and you know, I think there's a bit of a, a bit of a powder keg in, in corn there with the potential of upside if we get a reason to spark that. So um, for me, I'm watching corn. Um, otherwise, you know, watching the cattle market's always interesting on days like today where your grains aren't really moving that, <laughs> that yeah. much. Yeah, the so. cattle can always provide uh, some entertainment, whether it's. Edge of your seat, uh, bad news, or edge of your seat, good news. And we'll just keep an eye on the sky. Yep. Ted, Sounds tell like us, how, how can folks get a hold of you? Sure. You can reach me directly at 312-277-0113. Aside from that, you can find us on the web at www.zaner.com. 
You can read about read a bit about us. You can also sign up for our morning Ag Hedge newsletter, which is full of information useful for the ag markets pertaining to the ag markets. It is not a recommendations letter. We save our recommendations for working with our clients on a one-on-one basis. Everybody has different situations, so we try to learn our clients and their operations as well as we can so that we can advise them as if we were standing in their fields with them. That makes sense, and you can find Ted on Twitter at the Ted Spread. So with that, Ted, we'll let you get going. I know you've got a busy week ahead of you. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thanks. Always a pleasure, man. We'll talk to you soon. Well, it's a good thing that I get to edit today's podcast so that I can hear what you and Ted had to say, but I'm sure it was only good things, right, Mike? Well, you know, it was, uh, no, it was not. (laughs) Ted, as I'm sure our listeners know by now, is not all that fired up about the wheat market. And it's just, it's tough to create a story right now in these markets. I think that's the challenge that we're having. We need a catalyst to drive some change. So we'll keep in contact with Ted and with our other market analysts as time goes on. And hopefully we'll get a story that will spur some movement and allow some profitable sales on the part of our farmers. That all sounds pretty good to me, Mike. Well, as we said before, uh, we're still lining things up for the rest of the week. But in the meantime, check us out on Facebook and Twitter, Ag News Daily, or on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe to us if you haven't yet. And please take the time to rate and review us on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, wherever you see fit. We really want to hear what you think of the podcast, who we should be interviewing, and what we can do to make it better for the listeners. Mike, do you have anything else to add? I don't, Delaney. I just wonder if maybe we ought to let the people go. Let's let them go. (laughs) 